welcome to MSP 1337. I'm your host, Chris Johnson, a show dedicated to cybersecurity challenges, solutions, a journey together, not alone. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of MSP 1337. This week, I'm joined by Huxley Barbie of Run Zero. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, CJ. And it really, you say one, one, three, one, one, three, seven. You don't say uh, MSSP Elite or something, or so there is a. You mean welcome to MS? Oh, you mean say? You mean I don't say Elite instead yeah. of thirteen thirty seven? Yeah. And you know, like I would say on uh, if I were to count on my fingers how many people have actually even picked up on that, it's less than than it's less You're than kidding. the number of fingers. No, no way. So, so uh, this whole the the. MSP 1337 stemmed from my business partner and I, when we had our managed services company, we used to joke, well, it wasn't joke. We always say someday we'll be the best at and fill in the blank. He's like, we should do a podcast that like kind of goes along those same lines. It says MSP the best, right? Right. And it took us selling the company, uh, exiting completely out of the space. I had started, I actually went to be a CISO for a school district before I finally said, hmm, COVID's here. What should I do with my spare time? Launch the podcast. My regret is that I waited that long to do it. Um, And and thank you for picking up on that because it is a fun conversation now when people go, I know what that means, especially for hardcore gamers. (laughs) That's hilarious. So Run Zero, uh, your trajectory, um, your uh, media person happened to reach out to me actually before Blue Team Con a couple weeks ago. Uh, we weren't able to meet. And then I'm at Blue Team Con and I'm like, I recognize this name. This came up. I had the opportunity to sit through your session uh, talking about IoT and OT uh, and even a little bit of IOT. And, and this is a very popular conversation that's happening in our industry right now with the security yes. concerns finally being front and center, uh, recognizing that any asset that has access to sensitive data needs to be secure or locked down or or mitigate the amount of things that it can actually touch. And I think you did a really good job of illustrating some of those examples. We've talked about it a little bit, you know, the robotic arm and and what controls it and what else does it touch that might not even be visible because we don't know how it was set up for what it actually does. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe give us a little bit of history on what had you kind of really, I'm going to say, jump off the deep end into not sure how deep the water is on IOT because this, the, the 30 minute session you did uh, quite honestly should have been a, a an awakening moment for anybody in that room that hasn't taken time to recognize that IOT, OT, those are no longer the acronyms we need to be worried about. It's more of all assets have converged to one internet or one connected infrastructure out there in in the ether uh and what do we do now so that we don't end up you know the victims of skynet or some other um terrible (laughs) terrible situation um so if you're like me you grew up in an it world and i'd say you know 95 out of 100 people that i meet uh, are, are like myself in that sense right you, you grew up with a laptop or or a desktop or a tower uh, but you, you grew up using what what is traditionally it right servers laptops and and databases and you know when when we got started of course 
we didn't necessarily realize that there was this whole ecosystem of devices out there that operated our society, our lives, right? In the water treatment plant, the pharmaceutical um, facility, uh, the, the the gas refinery and so on and so forth. And it was for good reason that we wouldn't know this because sure. these types of environments were air-gapped from any sort of network, right? You know, not, Reminds not, me not of hackers. Network. Like the only way you're going to disrupt the tanker is if I can connect this modem physical right. box to another box that I now have no longer air gapped. Right. Exactly. Right. And um, so for good reason, we, we didn't know about these things because there was sure. no exposure to, to, to us, but you know, around 2005 or so right around then, you know, was when this first started happening, you, you started seeing a lot of these OT environments start to get connected to it networks and as a consequence you know indirectly or directly connected to the internet as well sure and without knowing in some cases right like they didn't realize how how quickly the the spider web effect took place yeah no absolutely one connection because the people who are making these decisions to connect these networks to to it networks were were not security focused folks, right? They were solving problems. The, yeah, exactly. They were solving operational problems, right? They needed the vendor of the device to be able to connect in in order to uh, debug something, or uh, the device is out in the middle of nowhere, and rather than flying a technician to go out there to go fix uh, fix something or flip a switch, you want to be able to re- remotely manage manage that particular device. So. For operational efficiency, it made a lot of sense sure. to connect OT devices to your IT network to get that done. But because these decisions were being taken without that sort of security awareness, uh, security mindset, you end up in a situation where all of a sudden you no longer have to walk up to a device to compromise it. You no longer had to trick somebody into uh, putting a, a USB stick into a device in order to compromise it. You well, could just do that from the from the comfort of your own home behind your VPN. I, I feel like there's a, a bit more to that because you just said 2005 and I was thinking back to like the early 2000s where like if you had a wireless card in your laptop and a wireless access point, it meant you had some experience with command line because there was no graphical interface. But to your point about roughly 2005 and, and later, we started to see mostly, I'd say, I shouldn't say mostly, you sort of see a lot of devices in this category in the consumer space mm-hmm. that were built for those that didn't have a clue what command line is. And we saw things like push this button on this device and push the button on this device. And suddenly they will start talking to each other and you don't have to put in a password or try to find the SSID. They'll just find each other. So, right. so to your point in this OT space, and correct me if I'm wrong here, I feel like there was a lot of like, OT problems being solved by engineers going into the local fries or Radio Shack or wherever it was to solve communication challenges that gave them insights or the ability to make better decisions without having the infrastructure be built for the appropriate application being designed for. Yeah, I mean, there might have been some you know ad hoc attempts at solving things from you say fries i say comp usa but yeah i mean whoa one, one, one of those places right 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 um but, office max <laughs> um but you know to to look at things in uh 
to look at things holistically and at scale, right? To 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 apply security methodologies frameworks to an entire OT environment, like that's just something that wasn't being done. And, right. And and here here's here's what makes it worse. On the IT side, we've had a lot of innovation. Oh yeah. Scary, right. I mean, uh, there was a time when you 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 and everybody you knew got angry because of the antivirus software that's on your laptop and you did everything that you could to get rid of it because you know you don't want that spyware on your laptop but these days every laptop at least in the business uh, environment has an EDR on it and nobody complains everybody just, right. just accepts that this is how things are and you know that's just on the endpoint but on the network uh, in the cloud and everywhere else there are lots and lots of security controls to make sure that the the IT environment has a fighting chance against the adversary and this, we're talking about decades of right. maturity here on the IT side. And that never happened with OT, simply because when you're air-gapped, you know, we used to say like security through obs obscurity. Security, I yeah. Think, yeah, so like, I think on the OT side, it's like security through isolation, right? Because yeah. we are isolated, because we're air-gapped, we don't need to do all these things. We don't need to have security controls. We don't need EDR on these OT devices. We don't need to encrypt our traffic. We don't need to. Uh, we don't need to require authentication in order to, you know, intercommunicate. So all those things that are now like taken for granted on the IT side. That that never came to to the OT world, and you know, I I argue that the OT world is like thirty years behind the IT world in terms of security maturity. But I mean, to some degree, that's also uh, the ignorance that's been allowed to perpetuate that space, right? Because you can't tell me that someone who's like, hey, we're going to, you know, create a remote connectivity to the the oil rig in, in rural Colorado uh, that no one thought about that there might be problems if someone were to intercept that traffic or... I mean, yes, I, I get it. We're talking about two different groups of individuals, you know, in this space, which we see that all the time. Like IT doesn't talk to the OT team because, well, we don't do the same thing. So why would we talk to each other? Yeah. Yeah. And I also think that we don't realize how often there are intrusions into OT environments because the, the primary function of an OT environment is availability, right? If you're looking right. at the confidentiality, integrity, and availability, availability is, is absolutely paramount. Right. And oftentimes when there's a negative impact due to some some adversary work, you what you see is impact to availability, right? It's, it's an yeah, Colonial pipeline is a perfect example yeah. of availability. Right. And so if if the the negative impact were an outage that it didn't come with anything else. Sure. It can look like a mechanical failure. In fact, there's right. this, you know, one major incident, uh, I think in the Southern United States, it wasn't Colonial Pipeline, where there was an outage because of device failure, quote unquote failure. The OT engineers took a look at it and assumed that it was a mechanical failure and just replaced the device, not realizing that the outage was actually because of, uh, it's a, uh, you know, the work of an adversary. Sure. So unless that outage comes along with something else like, hey, uh, like like a ransomware email, right? It's hard you're, to you're determine. Not, right. You're you're not going to know, like, was this a mechanical failure or was this something more nefarious? And it takes somebody who has more of a security background to be able to investigate that properly in order to make that determination. 
Well, you had the Prudhoe Bay pipeline. They slowed down the oil output to uh, Prudhoe Bay. And uh, lo and behold, if you slow the output of oil too far, uh, the pipe freezes. Mm -hmm. So they didn't know that. They never thought about that there was a temperature at which oil would freeze, especially when it's above ground. And so then they had to cut out large sections of the pipeline and reassemble because it's frozen solid. Yeah, yeah. That was I mean, that was a person mistake, right? Like no one was like, well, what if someone did that on purpose? Well, they could have. We will never know if that was done intentionally or not. We just know what the story is that we were given. Right. And you got to keep in mind, like, who who is the adversary, right? If it's like, you know, if it's like a nation state actor that ha- is getting guidance from like people who understand these types of systems, they they might do that intentionally. But for everybody else who's being more opportunistic, sure. who's just looking for a quick paycheck, then you know, they might do that unintentionally, like the, the outage or the degradation in service might be entirely unintentional. But right. What what happens with, when I flip this lever? Yeah, we'll see. Who knows? Yeah. Right. Um, but but the problem is, you know, on the IT side, somebody exfiltrates some data. All right, you know, PI gets lost, which is you know horrible, of course. Right. Uh, but but typically these organizations that have had the, these IT environments they they have a process for this now right you know they right. they they send an email apologizing for 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 the loss of pii maybe they sure. get fined by somebody and then they you know give give uh, all their customers like one year of life lock and then call it done but <clears throat> you know the on the ot side though it's 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 dramatically different like, like unless it, the robot it, kills somebody and that's only going to be compensation to an individual or family but, but but think about like what could happen like if there's loss of water loss of gasoline i mean we did see what happened with, with yeah pipeline. water gasoline you know pharmaceuticals are no longer being produced right you know what 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 could what could that do to to our society um and it might not be like about that right and it might, it might not be the country <laughs> at large it could be like you know, a, you know a certain municipality or something like that um you know like well, we saw that, right? Remember when we saw that? I mean, obviously it's slightly different, but like when epinephrine and the manufacturers behind the two different ways to administer epinephrine, we're talking about a drug that costs like nickels, pennies to produce, mm-hmm. but the company behind the the convenient injector is like, yeah, we're going to charge $700 a pop for it. We, yeah. You just you just eliminated the ability for anybody to afford it. Obviously it's a little bit different, but I mean, um, I speaking from experience, all three of my kids had to have uh, uh, EpiPens, but like what you're describing is that that's a very small example of what could happen on a catastrophic level. If the company that produces any sort of delivery mechanism were to just be shut down and there is no, like, we don't know when this is going to come back online. And we saw yep. that with uh, chip makers, right. In I don't remember mm-hmm. what country it was, but the factory had a fire. They can't yeah. make chips. in. I mean, that was that we felt that ripple effect across the entire globe. Exactly. Right. So, so all of these materials or products that we depend on for our lives, right. You know, you, you shrink that supply, watch the price go up and watch it become inaccessible to, to large swaths of, of the population. Stop so, the water from getting to the Panama Canal. <laughs> yes, that, that, that would be terrible as well. Um, so, you know, Yes, obviously there's there's major impacts on on the IT side, but on the OT side, it could be dramatically worse. And that's 
That's what's so ironic about it. These these devices run our lives, and yet they are shockingly unprotected. They're so much less protected than the IT side. And so it just boggles the mind. Right. So like, I, th- I almost feel like stuff I see in like the HVAC space, while there is the, the, the flipping of switches and, and, and physical changes, I almost feel like the HVAC world with their embedded systems is almost not what we're talking about right now, because we're, we're almost talking about more of like what raises the dam that has no visible, there isn't an interface for it. There's yes, another yeah. machine that controls that. And then there's a machine that controls that machine that was built 50 years ago. And it's to your point, I think you said this at, at blue team con, like it's still, it's still being used today. It's not going to be upgraded tomorrow. It has a lifespan of 20, 30, 50 years yep. because it's in the river and you're not exactly going to just go pull it out of the river to go up. Oh, it needs a firmware update. Yeah. Yeah. Many of these devices have like a, a time horizon that goes up to 50 years and they, they are potentially not patched for just as long. Uh, I heard this joke recently, like on the IT side, we have Microsoft Patch Tuesday. Yep. The OT side is like Patch September. <laughs> if 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 that, if we, that. We had worried 2001 or, or the rollover to 2000. Right, yeah. Y2, so, the Y2K bug might be real in the OT space. We don't know. We have no idea. Potentially still, who knows? I, I don't, know. <laughs> just, don't go no, there. Because, don't go because, there. Because, be, no, because like in, in some OT environments, the engineers' workstations potentially still run Windows XP, and sure. I even I even heard this. I haven't seen this myself. Somebody told me that they found an engineer's workstation that was still running Windows three point one or something like that, like going that far. Uh, which... I, that I'm not surprised. I I had done some work back uh, years past. This was not oh so long ago, but they were running their e-commerce system with some AS four hundreds and bonded T one lines that couldn't have been um updated probably in the last decade i mean they i mean obviously they're still chugging along what they're vulnerable for unfortunately they're not on those anymore but um so so we've spent like a half an hour really or not half an hour half of our time really on the where the dangers and the vulnerabilities are and like wake up people we need to do something about this yeah so what's a what's a path forward like we've got some time here like like Please don't tell me like it's just hopeless and there's nothing we can do about this because it's just hopeless. I don't think and we, that's... Got, we can't do anything about it. Sorry, that's man. right. That's, that's right. Um, start start looking for the Skynet uh, ships in the sky. Right, like it's over. Or or you know just go go back and dig up your plan for going off the grid because right. you know that's that's actually it's it's not something that's too far fetched. No, uh, it's not. And I think like I think about so if we if we take the OT extreme and we use HVAC that's somewhere in that in that middle spot because mm-hmm, a lot mm-hmm. of what's been built in recent years is also has the technologies built into it that can be protected and can be secured. Right. But I also we also know from examples that we have in the world around us that that's still not happening. Um so like, I mean, to some degree, and I don't, I want to focus on the OT part of this, but like, I feel like if we just solved for the, the, the typical best practices in, in the, in the IT side that you and I having this conversation, like the only thing we're actually worried about is OT exploits boy, that really shrinks the threat surface because right. we could go back to a world of like, we can do a better job air gapping this. We can do a better job. I think, I think you hit the nail on the head by like saying, Hey, the sort of the the best practice that we have on the IT side 
could potentially apply here. I mean, obviously these are very different environments, but I still think that CIS control number one applies to all environments. And that is still a really good best practice, no matter what you're doing, right? Know what you have. Correct, correct. That's that's the starting point, right? right. There's there's so much more that needs to be done, of course. Sure. But the starting point is that actually like knowing what's there, right? And and this this applies both to organizations that have OT environments, it also applies to you know MSSPs that are consulting to these types of customers, right? Uh, where you're when you're scoping an SOW or something like that, you, you need to know what you have so that you can even begin to start protecting it. And uh, this is an may dictate how you protect it. <laughs> What's what, one more time? So that may end up dictating the how you can protect something. Like, oh yeah, I mean, if you don't know what it is, how do you even know what what you should be doing about it? Right? Because right, I mean, if if this is a if this device is uh, an internet enabled coffee mug, right? The 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 security controls that you're going to want to apply to that are, are going to be commensurate to like how important it is to your your business, right? Like what's the business criticality of an internet enabled lava lamp, for example, right? Um, but if it's something that's critically more important, like an IP camera or a robotic arm, or your database server that has all of your PII, then obviously you're going to want to apply security controls that match. Well, I, I thought about this the other day, and, and this isn't to trivialize critical infrastructure, but if I think about today's world of home automation, today's world of uh, home control systems, if I can get into your house and I can modify the hot water heater thermostat and tell it that it's not up to temperature until your thermostat goes through the side of your house... Well, that means that I can now be a threat actor that is pursuing uh, acts that involve loss of life or, you know, catastrophic impact. And we're not talking about critical infrastructure. We're talking about what's critical, important to you and me and protecting mm -hmm. our, our homes. And today we can't even get people to understand the necessity around configuring an environment at home that involves what did you buy that you hooked up to your hot water heater? Uh, what did you purchase that now controls the the thermostat in the living room? And, and I'm not saying that to make uh, negative statements around like the the Googles or the, or the players that have products like that. That's neither here nor there. You're buying these things without ever remotely considering what the ramifications are that could be quite often catastrophic. We just haven't been given any uh, data to support it happening. Yeah, and absolutely. I mean, you you look quite healthy to me over here with the Zoom, but like today, if, if if you have a family member that uh, requires oxygen, what if you have a family member that requires assistance, right? They're they're on some sort of you know, breathing assistance or, or something else, right? Maybe maybe an elderly family member. Anything that's monitored or controlled without it involving me physically being present. Yeah. So, and then of course, there's also the issue of like all these cameras watching our kids now in the home, uh, which it's a whole other attack vector. That's absolutely frightening to me because you know, I, have, I have two, two young children. Um, and, and what are their rights? Wow. <laughs> that that's a, that's a whole other can of worms. You're going to have to find somebody to talk to you about privacy and, <laughs> and issues like that. But like, it's everything too. Like, like these vacuum cleaners, the the automated vacuum, the not the, the like the Roombas. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. 
they they even have cameras on them and i was i was at a defcon talk where the guy was like do not ever buy a refurbished uh vacuum cleaner uh because you don't know if somebody like changed the firmware on there such that you turn it on and basically like they have a feed into your entire house as the thing like moves around your property like it just it, it just boggles the mind about what what could potentially happen uh i don't that's actually i hadn't thought about that one but now what you're saying is way bigger than vacuum cleaners right anything that you can get open mm-hmm. box or refurb whether it's a cell phone or anything that has the ability to connect to a network suddenly is a, a Trojan horse that is conveniently less expensive than the OEM. If you can't wipe it or you don't know how to wipe it or flash it, like be very careful. Yeah. Right? yeah. Um, and, and, and the thing is, you know, and in, in terms of like knowing what you have with many of these IOT devices, very, very difficult to actually identify what that thing is because uh, like I said, this this is this whole idea of knowing what you have is pretty much an unsolved problem, you know, uh, in the IT side as well. But like yeah. IoT, OT for sure, it's an right. unsolved problem. And oftentimes, these IoT devices get identified as a Linux box or yeah, uh, an Esprit box or a, a Raspberry Pi because of the IoT platform that the that was built uh, that was built on, and you know. Fact of the matter is, as a security person or you know the person uh, owner of a home, it's important to, for you to know what that thing is. Right? And There's and oftentimes, and, and I'm not saying this is definitive, but I have I have gone the route of like, okay, I see the MAC address, let's Google the MAC address, and it gives you you know some idea that this is a brother printer or a you know a nook that you got like a, a, like i don't want to say a nook but like a uh, a generic version of, of a nook like right it's like the raspberry pi you bought the enclosure it comes with an ethernet port on it, mm-hmm. it and it doesn't identify as anything you recognize boxcon or whatever um, but then you run the mac address and it's like these are found in the following products You're like cool i narrowed it down to nine things awesome um yeah. if if none of those nine things look familiar to you you probably need to get that off your network yeah, exactly. And you know, the thing with MAC addresses is oftentimes they're they're and wait, I'm not even talking about like Mac spoofing or anything like that. Just no, like, no, right. They're that the, the MAC address goes to the NIC and you know, like you said, like you you know nine things, but the thing is if it's a very popular vendor for a network card, right, you're not looking at nine devices. You're looking at ninety, nine hundred devices. Yeah, try right. to narrow that one down. Or you see it and it shows up on your network two, three, four times, and it doesn't make any sense because the MAC address is the same. The IP address is not, and they are all showing as active on your network. Mm-hmm. That That's always yeah. the one that scares me. It's like, uh, what virtual device did I stand up right. that keeps uh, replicating itself out to get to the internet? Yeah, and you and I are having this conversation, but imagine folks who are not as familiar with these types of issues. They just... They just don't know. They operate blindly that as long as I can use my laptop to, you know, manage my finances uh, until that's taken away, everything must be good. Yeah. And, you know, to, to sort of, to sort of like uh, bring this home a little bit, you know, a lot of small businesses are not too different from a home. Sure. And a buddy of mine, he runs a, 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 MSSP that specifically caters to SMBs. 
oftentimes he walks into a customer and they do an assessment and they find out that this particular customer has already been owned. They, they've been owned for a long time. They sure. just didn't realize it. The And the reason what that they were bought in was to figure out why is the network so slow? Sure. Right. And so we have this situation where people potentially are already compromised, but to them, it's just network degradation. They don't realize what else is happening. I had an embed HVAC controller that was open on port 80 to the internet. The only thing that saved us was the fact that that VLAN wasn't accessible, but from one place in the entire, like there was only one place you could be where you could route to that device. And when we finally figured it out, it was causing massive traffic congestion but they hadn't gotten any further than that. So like they were trying really, really hard and they'd been trying right. for days yeah. and we finally figured out what it was and we unplugged it. Everything went back to normal. Security. And then of course it was close the port. Segmentation is a wonderful security control. Unfortunately, it's hard to deploy and hard to debug, but if you can get it done right, it could be hugely, hugely beneficial to an organization. It's just, it's, it's just hard to do because Oftentimes networks uh, are not well documented, so you don't even know where to segment. And, and it takes a long time, or it can. Yeah, it takes a long time to get it deployed because oftentimes it's not the security person that has to do the the, the actual implementation, but you have to work with your IT partners and so on and so forth. Uh, do you want to all. build an onion rather than peel back an onion, right? Like, so I think about like what those guys go through for home automation. Like the last thing they want to do is start with like seven VLANs for the house. And one of them happens to be the, the blinds. It's on its own VLAN for whatever reason. Right. That would be a, that'd be a nightmare to try and navigate, to get the blinds to work from any of the controllers in the house. Yeah. If it's already been segmented before you get started, but if you can start with a flat network and then start adding in those uh, network segmentation. Well, then at the very least, you know when you break it before you're done saying it's configured. Right. But who yeah. has that? Like mm -hmm. that's that's a pie in the sky to say, I get to start from scratch. We're going to build with flat network and we're going to build out to 25 VLANs. Yeah, yeah. Like I said, segmentation is really awesome security control. It's just, it's um, it's hard to make it practicable for Practicable is the newest word of the day. We will go with that. <laughs> <laughs> is that practical and applicable at the same time? Uh, you know what? Let's go with that. I Let's like go that. with that. Yeah. Uh, so Huxley, is there any, I don't know. I don't want to say hope because we've, we've definitely established that maybe just follow some of the best practices we use on the IT side would, would go a long ways on OT. Uh, are there any last um thoughts you'd like to share with our audience and and then wrap us up with like how can they how can they find you uh if they wanted to reach out and talk to talk to mr huxley barbie yeah so i think i think the thing like i said before the very first step is figuring out what you have yeah right? you want to get that, that really good roster really good inventory of of the of your devices and Along with that is forming really good partnerships with the OT engineering organization, right? Because they're the ones who are going to really understand the criticality of those devices. You, you as a security person may not, right? You can right. take a guess, but still, like you, you really want to be partnering with them because one, they can tell you what's what. And number two, 
you're going to need their buy-in in order to later on introduce security controls, right? right. You're going to need their assistance, their knowledge, their insights in order to properly prioritize the risks right. of those devices. And when it comes time to actually implementing security controls, you need to be them to be on board. So it's better to have them along for the ride uh, than to come in from the outside as, you know, somebody that's outside of their organization. Like right. secure by default, secure by design. Like I think to your, to your point, like if we don't start with some rules, then, then no rules get followed. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so, it's, so yeah. So how do we get a hold of you? Yeah. So Huxley Barbie, I'm the only Huxley Barbie you're ever going to meet. I am active on LinkedIn uh, as well as uh, the infosec.exchange instance of Mastodon. I'm also still on Twitter My, or X or whatever. I thought you were going to say MySpace. Ha <laughs> uh, ha. No, I was never on MySpace uh, or or Friendster or anything like that. Uh, but yes, I'm I'm still I'm still on Twitter X whatever you want to call it today. Uh, I'm there as well. Uh, and if you want to email me, it's Huxley at runzero.com. Runzero is uh, where I work. And uh, if you ever want to see me in person, I'm the lead organizer for B-Sides New York City. Oh, cool. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So I just caught the tail end a little bit of B-Sides Denver uh, at the end of the uh, the city show. Oh, nice. Excellent. So they had uh, uh, the CISO for Dolby was uh, at B-Sides. Really? Yeah. Nice. Nice. I didn't get to catch that, but I hear it was a very good session. So, um, so B Size University is going to become an annual conference. So awesome. We had we had one this year, so do expect for another B Size University in twenty twenty four. Dates to be announced later. Awesome. Well, for those of you listening, this has been an episode of MSP thirteen thirty seven. Thanks, and have a great week.